podcast. It's so hard. Word, 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 word. Fieldwork podcast. <laughs> Fieldwork podcast. Fieldwork podcast. Fieldwork podcast. Fieldwork podcast. That's not the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Fieldwork Podcast, a show where continuing legal education is delivered through conversations about law and business. This episode, our host, Gavin Johnson, will be interviewing Kyle Holton on emerging regulations in cryptocurrency. Kyle is a corporate and securities attorney and sits on the Securities Committee for Washington State. So from the attic in Tangletown, this is the Fieldwork. Kick things off by uh, talking a little bit about just some common terms in the cryptocurrency industry. Sure. There's a bunch of buzzwords thrown around. I think a good probably handful of our listeners aren't super familiar with uh, cryptocurrency and buzzwords. So let's kick off with uh, blockchain. Why don't you tell tell me a little bit about what blockchain is? Blockchain in five words. Um, yeah, so blockchain is a new, newish technology. It's, you can think of it like a spreadsheet that multiple people or people all around the world have access to, and there's a, a way of getting new entries onto the spreadsheet, and there's a protocol for making sure that the, the entries that get on there are authentic, and then everybody's got a copy of it. There's not one central copy. It's widely distributed, and the decentralization is a key feature that the fact that it's it's widespread and everybody has access to these records that are authenticated. So blockchain is not something that I buy and sell. No, blockchain is a technology, and the it's a reference to the chain of uh, transactions that get put onto that spreadsheet, and they're usually uploaded in a few at a time in blocks. Yeah, so, so blockchain's a technology, and then you can run applications on top of this blockchain technology is what these a lot of these different companies are doing. Yep, exactly. Okay, so um, tell me a little bit about, we've heard a bunch in the news, especially recently, uh, cryptocurrency companies. So what's, what is cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency is, uh, so there's tokens that are on the, the blockchain, the, these... Uh, units that are, are tracked, the um, transfer of these units are tracked on the, the blockchain and these units are called cryptocurrency or virtual currency. And um, the, the big idea is that you might not need a bank, you might not need some central authority to keep track and, and charge you at every point along the way that you could keep track of your money on this um, decentralized ledger. And it's supposed to be, like you said, it's safer through this blockchain technology in theory, yeah, there's all sorts of new security risks. They're different, but they're not the security risks that come from a centralized control. They're they're a different set of security risks. So cryptocurrency, uh, different types of cryptocurrency. There's there's Bitcoin. There's Ethereum. There's all all sorts of different types yep. of cryptocurrency. Right. These are basically just different forms of cryptocurrency and different. You call them units or tokens. They're just different types of currencies. Yep, exactly. Cool. Uh, tell me about um, I- ICOs. It's a term that's been thrown around a lot recently. Um, tell, tell me about ICOs. What, what's ICO stand for and, and you know, what, what is it? Yeah, so it's, it can be different things for different companies, but basically companies are raising money by issuing coins or tokens, so these records on on blockchain so that uh, show that people have a certain amount of a, a token or a coin and 
they're giving these uh, in exchange for capital and companies are raising tons and tons of money by giving these uh, tokens or coins that don't have any inherent value necessarily but I suppose neither does the paper that money's printed on so so it's a play but it's a play on IPOs initial public offerings yeah that's what the that's what the terminology is yeah so these are initial coin offerings it's the first time a company puts out a, uh, a coin or a token and people are, are buying them because they think they're going to go up in value usually that's the the general idea is that they try and get in on the, the ground floor so to speak just like with an initial public offering it's the same idea although I doesn't really resonate with me because by the time a company goes public it's huge and there's already thousands of shareholders so I think that is something of a misnomer or misunderstanding it's just the first time that the all the public gets access to it yeah so so these companies that are doing these ICOs are usually startup companies right they're usually brand new they don't have a ton of shareholders so exactly so, so the, how that's different from IPOs is usually an IPO is some successful company's been around a while has you know the hundreds to thousands of shareholders and now is is going public yeah and another another key factor from an investor standpoint so it's a it's a much different risk profile so the companies that do ipos like you're saying are really well established they've got a long track record but but they also have crazy disclosure obligations and there's all sorts of uh regulatory framework that's that's burdensome and it's a it's a pain but it does protect the investors and i think that there's there's probably something in, in the middle, something that's less than what uh, public companies have to do, but something more than the what uh, ICOs or uh, companies issuing ICOs are currently doing, which is um, not much. And there's also all sorts of ways to manipulate the, the market, and there's not a lot of disclosure, there's not a lot of clarity about what's going on in that market. So I think that there'll need to be some regulatory. I think it's possible that it'll be some sort of self-regulatory um, uh, issues that are self-regulatory uh, rules that are imposed by companies in the cryptocurrency space or maybe regulators will have to do it. And it's possible that different countries will take different approaches. Does the coin just become stock once they do an IPO if they get big enough? Not exactly. So usually they have different sets of rights. So a st- a share or a, a unit, a, a stock. Um, if someone holds, you know, um, ten shares of stock in a in a company, they have they usually have ten votes, and they'll have a, a percentage of any sort of dividend. You know, it'll be a, a minuscule percentage, but it'll they'll have some dividend rights, so that if the company's really profitable, they'll get a little cut of that. And then if the company liquidates, if it's wind up winds up, if it's sold, the shareholders will also get a piece of that profit. And that's not the case with um, coins or tokens. You don't get those rights. It's um, and you don't get voting rights. So. so is it like a more formal Kickstarter? Yeah, it's it's like, it's like Kickstarter. Kind of, but instead of a cool shirt, you get a digital virtual coin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounds like. It yeah. sounds like you're talking about Kickstarter. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's different. You're not, you're not getting equity in a company. So when you're buying shares in a company, you're getting equity in a company. When you buy coins, you're buying basically... A, you're buying a currency. Yeah, one of the one of the key differences between what happens in Kickstarter versus what happens with the uh, ICO is that the people who donate money or who give money through a uh, Kickstarter campaign, they're not expecting to get a huge return. You know, they're maybe hoping to get the first copy of a game. They're maybe hoping to get a T-shirt. Maybe they just want to see something take off. 
Whereas most of the people who are putting money into an ICO, they're they're thinking they might get like a hundred x return, and that's why they're doing it, and that's also why it's, um, U.S. regulators look at it differently. So now that we understand what blockchain is, at least at a high level, uh, what cryptocurrency is, some different types, um, ICOs, how those work, why we care about those, um, I think it's important to touch on securities regulations and specifically the intersection between securities regulations and cryptocurrency or the lack of intersection between the two. Um, so give me a quick high level one minute description of securities regulations. Why do those matter when it comes to cryptocurrency? Sure. So I think it, at the to start with, it's important to understand what a security is and uh, the US, U.S. federal law and then also uh, all of the states and the, the different jurisdictions. There's 53 jurisdictions, including Puerto Rico, D.C., and like the U.S. Virgin Islands or something like that. Um, they all have their own set of securities laws that you need to worry about. They all define sec securities slightly differently. But um, basically, if, um, you know, if an investor is putting money into a company and they think that they're going to get a, a return based on what someone else does through that company, that, that's kind of a textbook de definition of a, securities, uh, of a security. And then w the default rule is if you are selling a security that you need to register it with the SEC um, and do what's called a, uh, like a S1, which is a, a general registration statement. And only a handful of companies do that each year. Um, as a matter of practice, companies find a, an exemption. So there's a, a set of rules that if you comply with them, then you don't have to do that registration statement. And people want to do that because the registration statement costs a ton of money usually. And then you're, uh, you have ongoing reporting obligations and it's a, it's a real pain. So usually companies want to stay out of that framework and they want to fit within one of the exemptions. So that's kind of at a, at a high level. Hey everyone, this is Kyle. And Jeff. From the Fieldwork Podcast. Keep listening and we'll share the code you'll need to get your CLE credits. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. So securities regulators, you mentioned the SEC, the federal securities regulators are concerned with protecting investors from scams, basically, right? right. From yep. fraud, from scams. Um, I think most days, at least in the last maybe year or two, you can open up some sort of news feed and, and find a scam related to a cryptocurrency company, right? Or some yep. virtual, new virtual currency that uh, has scammed investors out of lots of money. Um, what are what are some of the different regulations that, that you're seeing that are, that are coming about related to cryptocurrency? Um, how those are impacting current examples of cryptocurrency companies, but what are what are some of the new regulations that you're seeing come down down the pipe? So there's all all sorts of different uh, regulatory decisions that are that are, are that are being bandied about or that are being uh, put forth. So um, one like for for instance, the SEC. Is, is put out a bunch of statements kind of getting at the issue of whether or not a token or a coin is a security. That's kind of a fundamental question that's sort of unanswered. Um, and the SEC um, chairman has, has said some, uh, a number of times that he, you know, theoretically a token might not be a security, but he hasn't seen one yet. Every, every one that he has seen is a security. And, um, you know, they're definitely taking the standpoint that most, um, if not all, sales of tokens or coins are going to be treated as a security by the SEC. What, but, what, I'm going to stop you there. What is the 
what's the argument right now that um, that uh, these ICOs or, or when a company is selling coins, it's some form of cryptocurrency, what's the argument that it's not a security? Well, I, I think an example might be helpful to understand. So there's this uh, old case in California where a golf course was in the process of being built and that golf course sold country club memberships um, before the comp before the country club was built and the sale of those memberships was ruled to be a security under California state law because the whether or not the investment in the country club membership was ended up being worth anything depended on the efforts of other other people and it was it was an investment in the fact that someone else was going to build this country club and, and make it worthwhile and what happens when a country club issues memberships when the country club is already built is a different thing that's not usually treated as a security i've never heard that treated as a security and that's because it's a different you know the there's a use there there's a utility is what's kind of the buzzword when when the country club is is built and you can analogize that to what's going on with cryptocurrency companies so if the if the company hasn't created or developed the the token or the you know the technology to issue the token or the coin then it's it's uh, pretty clearly a security but if the token already exists and has some some function some utility then there's an argument that it's more like the, the country club that's already been built that there's um, you know it's 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 got its own its own inherent value and that the person who buys it isn't reliant on some someone else's efforts in order to make it valuable it's valuable at the time they purchase it and it has a, a function so that's kind of a long-winded way of um, of getting at that yeah, so so if uh, if we get to the point with cryptocurrency or virtual currencies in general, where we can we can buy and sell these or buy other things with cryptocurrency, then then there'd be more of an argument that there's some utility to purchasing the coin and, and what you can do with it. Potentially, and another way that people use the argument that their token or coin is a utility is if um, if it if it enables someone on their platform to accomplish something. So. Like Telegram's a company that that um, is in the process of um, supposedly in the process of building out a, a token for their messaging platform, and I un I understand that they're the idea is that if you have a token, then you can do more on their platform, and that you'll have some um, you know some rights that come with your token, and people are um, taking that approach within their within their platform, within their technology, that if you have one of their tokens, then it's going to entitle you to something within their ecosystem. So that's another way that it could have utility, in, in, in addition to just being a medium of exchange more broadly. So these companies are are doing these ICOs to raise funds. So they're going this kind of non-traditional fundraising route versus, versus selling equity in their company to investors. They're doing these coin offerings, raising a bunch of money, and then arguing that uh, you can use these coins or these tokens, whatever you call them, within their platform or their system to buy and sell things or um, you know, use for some sort of enhanced membership or something. Yep, that's, a, yep, that's exactly right. Got it. Um, I'm curious. Often we see in, in securities regulations, we see federal regulators punt things to state regulators, state regulators wait for federal, federal regulation to come down. Is that something we're seeing right now? Is, is there kind of this back and forth between federal and state? I think that... 
they're all, you know, both at least the state of Washington, where where I practice, and um, and the the federal regulators, they're both being fairly proactive in this space and saying, you know, they're they're looking for um, bad actors for people who are trying to take advantage of of uh, their constituents. Um, you know, federal, you know, anyone buying these tokens or coin, buying tokens or coins in the U.S. or or in the, in the state of Washington. And I know I was at a seminar pretty recently where um, the someone from the Washington Department of Financial Institution said that they had seen six or seven um, ICOs in the state of Washington and that they'd reviewed them and they'd all referred them for enforcement action, which is something you don't want to hear if you're one of those companies. It means that they think that something is going wrong and they're going to look into getting you in trouble, to put it simply. Yeah, I saw recently, uh, at least I think was recently, I read an article about the Winklevost Bitcoin Trust and, yeah. and the SEC. Uh, I think it's been been years in the, in the process with the SEC. And I think recently, maybe the SEC had, had sent in some comment or done something to shut that down. But... I mainly just wanted to figure out a way to say Winkle Boss on here. Yeah, yeah, those guys are, are, are interesting. They're early investors in uh, Bitcoin, and they've got a shitload of money from, from that, and they're trying to put together a, a fund, basically. They're calling it a trust, but a fund, so that people can buy a share of their ownership of all their Bitcoins and, and participate in the increase in value in theory. Um, it's almost like its own exchange, right? Yeah, almost more like a more like a fund is is my understanding of what they're doing. Although they're doing a few different things, so we could be talking about about different things. Um, but they weren't able to get their their uh, trust listed, and part of it is because there's not enough disclosures around Bitcoin transactions. Like there's not enough information about whether um, the market is being manipulated. And I think that there, are, I mean, it almost certainly is being manipulated. But it's a question of like to what extent, because. You know, with a, a public company, you have to disclose, you know, major shareholders and major shareholders have to, you know, give a heads up and uh, they can't manipulate the market just because they own a, a, a large percentage of a company. But that's not the case with Bitcoin. There's no, none of that transparency and that's that's problematic. People can move the market. And I think that I've been reading reports that that actually just happened with Ethereum. Someone sold off just a, a huge percentage of uh, Ethereum, and Ethereum dropped like from almost seven hundred bucks to five hundred fifty bucks overnight. And those people probably made a decent decent chunk of money on that. And there's no transparency in um, you know the the people who don't own the huge chunks of money are more or less being taken advantage of. Yeah, and we're talking about crazy amounts of money. There was a uh, Wall Street Journal article talking about a company Block One that recently did a coin offering that was uh, four billion with a B yeah. billion dollars that they raised. I think I read I read something that last year in 2017 something between six and seven billion dollars raised in ICOs, and I think this year in 2018 alone we're already well over seven billion dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's money. It's displacing. Um, more conventional capital markets. I think that it's definitely a concern for uh, for venture capital and um, you know others in that, that similar industries. I think the concern is uh, it's like the Wild West, right? The, there's there's not a lot of regulation. There's a lot of speculation. 
there's a lot of comments coming down from different regulators, but there's not there's not a lot of rules right now. And when those rules come down, it could completely change everything, right? Yeah, like the Block Dot One is interesting because they their way of complying with U.S. securities laws, according to what I've read, is that they're just not allowing people from the U.S. to purchase their or to participate in their coin offering. I read people from the U.S. and people from China aren't aren't uh, they've got some technological measures put in place to prevent those people from those countries buying their their coins or their tokens but I don't you know I'm not sure that that's going to work well for them um, because they need to be concerned about what's called secondary transactions too where people they sell their securities to you know turn around and, and then sell to someone in the United States they, they might have some issues there so it's, but they're they've raised four billion so I'm sure that they can hire a lawyer to help them figure some of that out some of our field work should tail going and buying something from block dot one yeah their coins are called eos eos uh, um and their their network isn't even live yet their network is live next month early next month supposedly but their technology is it's interesting their technology is a bit different than um bitcoin or ethereum because they have a different method of approving the transactions that get put on the ledger um so with Bitcoin and Ethereum, you have to do something called um, proof of work, where you basically they, there's miners that do a bunch of work to to solve a hard math problem, and when they they do all that work, then they get to approve a transaction. But um, with EOS, it, they have a proof of stake method where people who own um, enough EOS can approve a transaction, and the idea is that they want the network to be viable and to be credible and They'll, you know, use their ownership. Their ownership will get will align their their incentives correctly. Um, but the benefit is that if they don't have to do the proof of work, um, they can approve way more transactions um, at, a, at a much lower cost. Whereas with Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, there's the elect electrical cost. You know, they eat up a, a ton of electricity and um, they can't process that many transactions at a time. Ethereum's way faster than Bitcoin, but Ethereum can only do like 15 transactions. Um, eh, I can't remember if it's a minute or a second, but it's whatever it is, it doesn't compete with, with Visa or MasterCard. They, could, they, they don't have enough volume to be able to, to do those kinds of like everyday transactions. So I wouldn't be earning my money tonight if I didn't dig into this. Uh, let's talk about mining Bitcoin real quick. Yeah. Because this is fascinating to me. So you mentioned it, it, with Bitcoin, there's a ton of electricity, the, the costs behind it. Um, you, you see here in Washington, you see a bunch of um, cryptocurrency Bitcoin companies heading east to the east side of the state, to the central side of the state where utilities are much cheaper, electricity is cheaper. cheaper. Talk to me a little bit about mining Bitcoin. What, what, what is this concept of mining Bitcoin? Yeah, so it, you have to, I mean, basically you just solve really hard math problems, but it takes a ton of computing power. So you have to power tons and tons of computers. And then if you are the first person or the, you know, if your computers are the first ones to solve the math problem, you um, get to approve a transaction that goes on the, the blockchain and then you get rewarded with a Bitcoin, which is, you know, it could be depending on the day, you know, 10 grand or something like that. So, I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell, but you need in order to uh, I mean you use so much power in or in order to um, even have a chance to be the one who um, gets the reward for a, approving the you know solving the problem and approving the transaction that 
your power needs to be really cheap. So that's you know why you would go to um, you know places where uh, real estate is more cheap and places where like places where electricity is more cheap. I know Iceland is a, a popular place too because they have geothermal electricity and the the cost of land is is more affordable. So I think that um, I saw that um, more electricity on Iceland goes towards. Bitcoin mining or, or mining in general anyways, then um, goes to powering all the homes in, in Iceland, which is pretty bonkers. Yeah, that's crazy. Have you found, have you found it necessary to, uh, I'll rephrase that. How necessary has it been for you in advising these cryptocurrency companies in knowing the, kind of the nuance, the ins and outs of what cryptocurrency is, what Bitcoin is, what Bitcoin mining is, the blockchain, all of these different phrases that we've been talking about? Yeah, I think I need to have a, at least a base level understanding. Um, I need to be able to communicate with my clients and I need to be able to understand their business. So um, I do, I mean, I do need to know at least some of it. And, you know, in a securities transaction, one of the big issues is uh, what's called risk disclosures. And you basically have to say all the ways something could go wrong for a company. And if you don't understand the company and their business, it's pretty hard to do that. So it is important, um, but it's also just important to be able to relate to your clients and connect with them. Um, I think your clients are gonna be a lot happier if you understand their, their business and, and what they're trying to achieve. So practical tip number one from Kyle and I, what's, what do you do to get up to speed at that high level um, that get that baseline understanding of, of the industry. Yeah, I wish I had some something uh, more interesting to say than just read a lot of blogs and, and re, uh, listen to podcasts. But that's that's basically it. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on um, Medium, um, which is um, if you if you don't know it, it's a uh, it's a site where it was developed by the. Um, Oh man, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he, Ev, Ev Williams, and he was one of the founders of Twitter and then left Twitter and started this, this other project, Medium, and it's a, kind of a more medium to long form platform, but there's lots of good articles about tech issues, and including um, blockchain issues and cryptocurrency. So if you are looking for a place to start, that might be a good place to, a good place to go. Hey everyone, this is Gavin and Kyle from the Fieldwork Podcast. This is your reminder that you can get CLE credits just for listening. After this episode, go to yourfieldguide.com to receive your CLE credits. And to convince those in charge that you actually listened, you'll need this secret code. Orbit. Okay, hold on. I'm going to write that one down. What is it? Orbit. Okay, got it. Orbit. And now, back to the show. So a client comes to you, says, I want to do an ICO. I want to do a coin offering for my company. I want to raise money through a coin offering. Uh, where do you start? What's the first what, What's the first place you go with, with that client? You have to understand what they're doing with their coin or token. Because um, you need to understand whether it's a security or not. And whether there's an, even an argument that it's not a security. Um, so what, what, what are the questions that you ask to get at that? Yeah, so I would ask, um, you know, basically I, I would try and I'd work my way into asking specifically what they're doing with the token. I'd ask them about their personal background, you know, how they how they got to starting a, a tech company, and then I'd ask about their interest in blockchain, and then what their what their goals are for their business, what you know, what their specific aims are, you know, both um, you know what problem they're solving for their customers, and then personally, you know, are they trying to make an exit in five years, or they, you know, is this their passion project and they want to, you know carry this this 
project out as far as they can. You know, some of the, some of those questions, and then I'd ask specifically, what rights does somebody get when they are getting a coin or getting a token? And um, you know, the, the people have all sorts of different things that they're doing with their token. Sometimes they want to do something more like a loyalty program where people get a reward for using their site. Sometimes they want to create an alternative currency where it really is, it's just going to be a medium of, of exchange and um, all sorts of things in between where, you know, maybe they're getting some, some rights to use some element of their platform, but they're also maybe hoping it becomes a medium, medium of exchange in addition. So um, really understanding what the, their, someone's going to get when they buy a token or, or a coin. And then, you know, I'd ask about, um, you know, how they're marketing it too. That's another important question for figuring out if it's going to be security. Are they telling people that it's going to go up over time? Um, so those are some of the, some of the questions I'd ask. Is the, is the analysis a lot different than when you're talking with other startup companies that are raising uh, the quote-unquote traditional financing through investors, issuing equity, issuing preferred stock? Is the analysis a lot different? It's a bit different because, so at one level, you're trying to figure out if it's a securities offering, and that analysis is, um, it's often similar to a traditional startup, but in the cryptocurrency space, people more frequently want the um, want people to more people to be able to own their tokens or coins because they want you know they want everybody to be able to use it to buy all sorts of goods and services whereas uh, a startup usually just wants to sell to a handful of wealthy investors who are going to you know write them a fat check so that changes um, what sort of exemption might work for um, someone selling selling a security so in that sense it's different but it's also different in the in um, the scope of of regulatory issues that might apply so um, many many cryptocurrency companies need to be worried about money transmitter regulations or whether they qualify as a money services business um, basically there are a set of regulations that are designed to keep people from laundering money and from being able to um, do large suspicious transactions without there being any reporting about it. And if you are helping people move money or something that's a, a substitute for money, then you need to comply with all these regulations that go to money services businesses. And those are, um, they're extensive and uh, expensive. So there's a lot to comply with and it costs a lot to comply with them. Um, so that's, that's one issue. And then there's another one is, um, you, you might need to be worried about um, commodities issues. So the CFTC is another um, regula federal regulatory agency that um, says that you know cryptocurrencies and virtual currencies are within their scope of regulation. So if you are helping people um, buy a future interest in a in a virtual currency, then you might be within CFTC's purview too. So. Um, there's just more regulatory issues. Sure, which I think uh, bringing up futures contracts and, and uh, CFTCs, I think a, a natural segue into another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is this new this new financing agreement. It's called a SAFT, a Simple Agreement for Future Tokens. I think it's a play on, there's, a, there's agreements out there called Safe Simple Agreement for Future Equity. There's KISS, all these different uh, acronyms that have been developed in the financing world. This is the newest, and this one is the the only one I'm aware of that's the uh, a, an acronym agreement related yeah. to cryptocurrency. <laughs> I think it's been developed by uh, our sure good friends, 
our good friends over at Cooley, uh, in combination with, uh, I'm sure, a wide variety of other industry experts. Yeah. Um, but talk a little bit about uh, SAFT, uh, which is really difficult to say, but yeah. um, so explain to me what they too. are. Um, so it's a simple agreement for future tokens, I think, which you, you mentioned. And it's the idea is that an investor who gets a SAFT, uh, yeah, that's not, not fun to say. Um, uh, an investor who gets a SAFT gets uh, a contractual right to um, tokens when the tokens are issued. So, for example, it might say something like, you know, the investor puts in $100,000 and then they'll get, an, um, you know, a 20% discount on the price of the tokens when the when the company actually has their ICO. So these will pretty clearly be um, securities initially. And the um, the guy who wrote it, um, the guy from Cooley, took a he he put out a, a paper with the document saying that the follow-on sale, um, the initial coin offering, wouldn't be a security. I mean, he might not have said it in, in those exact words, but that was more or less what he was getting at was that. And he was trying to make the country club type analogy too, I think. And he was saying that you know this initial, this initial when you sell a SAF to someone, that's a security. You're going to have to fit that within an exemption, and that's pretty easy if you just keep it to wealthy people. There's a, a pretty easy exemption that you can work with there, and then you raise that round of money when you sell the SAF, and then you have that pool of money to help you figure out how to do a compliant ICO, and that by the time you get to the ICO, your technology exists, and then you won't be issuing a security. You'll be you'll be like the country club that's selling a membership that is already to a, a viable country club. But that's um, kind of an adventurous opinion for a, a, an attorney to take with the landscape being so new. The you know the SEC chairman I, th- I mentioned earlier said that he hasn't seen an ICO that's not a security. So. I think that he hasn't seen an ICO after a SAFT, though. Yeah, I think he might have. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't so know. There, so in this white paper, the argument is that the 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 SAFTs, the the agreements themselves are that is a security, right? Right. Yep. But then the the tokens that are the these future tokens, yep. in reference in the acronym, yep. uh, that that the sale of those future tokens is not a security. Yeah, because you know their their point is that. The, they'll have a utility basically and that therefore they won't be securities but I think that's um, t- I think that's too broad of a statement and I I, th- I think that it's caused a lot of controversy and my understanding is that that guy doesn't work at Cooley anymore and whether it's because of this or because he wanted to leave or who knows why but it's interesting we can only speculate yep <laughs> uh, so we, we talked about ICOs companies reaching out wanting to raise financing through ICOs. I assume you're also, we hear about these companies that are setting up crypto funds. Um, so are you having clients reaching out, wanting to set up um, funds that are then investing in this cryptocurrency? And what are some of the different, what are some of the different things to keep in mind when those type of clients are reaching out versus these companies that are actually raising through these ICOs? Yeah, so one interesting thing there is that it's a, um, if if they are dealing with um, commodities, then it's a separate set of regulations that they'll have to deal with that they might not if they were just doing a, a, a traditional hedge fund that's buying and selling you know publicly traded equities. Um, if they are dealing with commodities, which most you know which virtual currencies are, and, and the the sale for 
for future rights in those commodities, then they're going to need to be a um, commodity pool operator, which is another, you know, another set of licensing and registration that they have to deal with. So that's that's a definitely something that they would need to have on their radar that might not already be on their radar. Um, a lot of times, people don't know that they need to be a registered investment advisor if they're going to set up a a fund and operate it, but they do. Um, there are some, but potentially some exemptions, but there aren't any good ones in Washington. Um, and the, the main one is if you are just raising money from super, super wealthy people, um, then then maybe there might be something that, that would work for you. But that's, a, that's not worked for any of the clients that I've had come talk to me. So what I hear in these different examples when clients are reaching out is there is a variety of regulations it's not entirely clear what regulations are actually going to govern cryptocurrency, ICOs, crypto funds, all of these different things. Each of the regulators are saying, well, we think it falls into this definition, and if it does, then we regulate it. And the other regulators are saying, but we think it falls into this definition, and if it does, we regulate it. Um, beyond just the right now kind of speculation around regulations surrounding cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. What are a couple things that, that you're seeing are, are easy ways to trip up related to cryptocurrency and advising these type of companies and the, and the different speculative regulations surrounding them? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. So one is the, the, no, the utility token notion. That's probably the biggest one is that people think that if their token has some utility or if it will have some utility, that means that they don't need to worry about securities laws. And um, I think the Cooley paper might... Uh, unintentionally have contributed to that that idea. Um, another a, another issue is um, people seeing that some other company did did something so they can do it too. So that's one that I, I see a lot is that like, well, what about this company? And you know, it might just be that that, that company is, is already negotiating some sort of consent decree with a, all sorts of security regulators and it just hasn't become public yet. You know, might they might be in a, about to get in a, in a ton of trouble. So those are a couple of the major issues. Have you found, we, we, I, I had mentioned earlier, um, learning about the industry, getting a high level overview of, of you know, these different terms and what they mean and how to apply them. Are there any other resources you found from the legal side of advising these types of clients? Any uh, particular blogs, podcasts, um, lawyers you're following, anyone that, that's worth throwing out there for our listeners? Um, A16Z, which is a, um, their venture, venture capital firm, they've got a, a podcast or two, um, you know, a few episodes on their podcast that talk about virtual currency issues. Um, those ones are pretty good. Um, Jason Calacanis has a, one, an episode on virtual currency issues in his podcast called, um, This Week in Startups. So those are a couple, a couple ones that, um. Saft paper is, is worth taking a look at. Um, if, if you just Google Saft, it'll come up, S-A-F-T. Um, and then I'm sure you can find all sorts of people talking about it. Um, another thing that's interesting is to just check out what's going on in the, the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, there'll be an article or two a week at least talking about what some, some company's done. Um, are the either state or federal or both are they putting out any sort of comments is there any sort of is there a place where these publications um you know attorneys in the space are keeping an eye on or following yeah the the sec has um you know they'll have like bulletins or press releases that that will be publicly available on their site when they're you know when the chairman makes a statement 
Um, so that's a good place to keep an eye on. But if you just do like, if you just follow like Apple News, they have got a cryptocurrency news channel. Um, and if you just subscribe to that and check it out like once once or twice a week, you'll probably get a, a good a good amount of um, you know what companies are doing in this space, but also what regulators are saying because that's that's newsworthy these days. And you're on the Securities Committee here in Washington, correct? Yep. Yeah, for the Can Washington you pull back Park. the curtain and give us any sort of insight? Is there anything happening in the Securities Committee that's related to cryptocurrency? Not really. It's so new that I think people are just kind of taking a wait-and-see approach and being cautious just like they, you know, the lawyers tend to be. Sure. Um, I don't know. One thing that the state of Washington is actually being um, proactive about and, and it's pretty cool is they're trying to spearhead a movement to um, get a coordinated program for money transmitters, which will be a big deal for um, cryptocurrency companies. So that instead of reg, uh, registering with 53 different jurisdictions plus the, the the federal government, that you, there would be some sort of coordinated program where you could just you know f- fill out one form and on, on a site. They have something similar um, for um, state uh, blue sky laws, which are securities laws, so that um, you just file in one place and then that can take care of um, filings with all sorts of, of different states. And they're trying to get something like that set up for money transmitters. So that's, that's something cool that's in the works that's happening here in Washington. Awesome. So I want to go a different direction briefly. We like to end each episode with some practice management pointers. And I like to ask this question. What's the one thing in your practice that you couldn't live without? Could be a type of desk, a chair, some practice management software, a type of chewing gum. So I do like Orbit, but I think I could make a switch if I had to. Um, We use a software called Airtable um, for our practice management. And I've I've been loving it. It's really flexible. We can um, build our our you know our suite exactly how we want it and it, um, super super customizable and um, easy enough to use and, and implement for our team it's not been um, without a few hurdles but it's um, it's pretty cool and it enables us to do a lot so I think that's what's coming to mind um, what to, let's talk about that briefly what uh, what is it about a customizable software that's that's different than some of the existing practice management or why'd you go that route yeah so um, the, all the kind of off-the-shelf solutions don't fit very well for our practice. We do a few things a little bit differently. Um, we invoice a little bit differently. We don't do a ton of litigation, and most of the kind of off-the-shelf solutions seem to be geared towards litigation. And then also we have, you know, we want to develop our own workflows and figure out what works for best, what works best for us. And you know, all, all the off-the-shelf solutions didn't quite work, so we could. Um, you know, with this customizable one, we can make it exactly how we want and have it work with our, our workflow. So that's that's what's really cool about it. And it's just it's, um, user-friendly and it's, it's pretty flexible is the word that I keep coming back to, but it's, it's, uh, it's cool. It's fun to use. Awesome. And that's all the time we have tonight. Thank you for joining us. Kyle, thanks to the listeners joining us. We learned tonight about cryptocurrency, some of the emerging regulations the different regulators that are uh, at least trying to regulate cryptocurrency and uh, ICOs. Uh, we learned about SAFT. We learned about Kyle's favorite chewing gum, Orbit. And we, uh, again, thank you, Kyle. Thank you. And fun. that is uh, that is all from us. We are the Fieldwork Podcast, 
delivering continuing legal education through conversations about business and law.